Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> So, Corey accuses me of not having good notes. So, folks, we were going to use the my legs for the white balance, but we decided to use white paper for white balance. So, all right, where where are we, Corey? Right, should do we do we want to be formal in this? Of course, we want to be formal. Okay, hey folks, <laughs> I'm Randy Newberg, and this is Corey Jacobson, and this is Dirk Durham. And Ooh. there we go. We right. are. At where, where are we at? Total Archery Challenge? Total Archery Challenge, Big Sky, Montana. Windy Big Sky, Montana. So if you yeah. hear a bunch of static and background, it's not because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we proved that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, we can't claim that one anymore. No. So the reality of this is we thought we'd have Dirk on here because Dirk has hunted with you probably more than anyone, Corey. Probably so. And... I think people have already tired of my stories about hunting with you. <laughs> so we really want the dirt. I mean, the, the idea is, folks, when this is all done, Corey will have no partnerships left in the sponsorship world. And if you are watching this on YouTube and seeing the video, you'll see they've strategically placed me directly yep. in the middle so I can't get away when they start telling lies. Yep. Yeah, you can watch him squirm really good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, did you tell Dirk we want to know his five mistakes? Uh, uh, Oh, I'll, I'll tell you Dirk's five mistakes. Okay. <laughs> right. I, I'll, I'll fill everybody in on Dirk's five mistakes if he's going to... Have you read the comments of the podcast that no. went up on Friday? No, what happened? Crazy. Uh-oh. I mean, no, I mean, like, everybody's like, we want to know more mistakes. So every <laughs> guest we have for about the next year... We're going to ask them their top five mistakes. Top five mistakes. Perfect. Dirk, fire away. So only but, five. I only get five? <laughs> you only get five, but before you do that, we got we to gotta talk about... Uh, the fact that the title sponsor of this podcast is the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, whose booth is right here behind us, even though you see all that mountain op stuff. This is the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation booth over here. And uh, their mission, you always ask me their mission. Yeah, what is their mission, Randy? Their mission is ensure to ensure the future of, of elk, elk, other wildlife, other wildlife their, their habitat, habitat, and, and our, our hunting, hunting heritage. heritage. There Ooh, you go. I'm getting it down. There you go. And if you aren't a member, some people even said after they did comments, after hearing you guys talk about what the Elk Foundation done, I, it does, I went and signed up. Perfect. Yeah. They should. Good. Good. There we go. If they're listening to this podcast, they are either an elk hunter or a future elk hunter. Right. And you need to be a member of the Elk Foundation. Right. And 
The other sponsor is Gerber, and I was going to wear my Gerber hat today, but I woke up kind of late, and I had to run and get Dilly Bars. <laughs> really, I brought 72 <laughs> Dilly Bars in that orange cooler, and they're gone. gone. So I didn't even get one. So I just grabbed my same old greasy hat that I wear all the time. But Perfect. Anyhow, Gerber. Gerber. Their knives. We love them. The, if you are a backcountry elk hunter, you're going to want to have one of their Gerber Vitals and one of their, if you if you really want to go big, the big game Vital. And uh, trust me on that one. I've been using them since, I don't know, I think. The dawn of time. I think Napoleon was <laughs> Napoleon was still a cadet in military yep. training when I started using them. Yep. And then that booth right over there. Sitka gear. Sitka gear. Yep. There's. You're the only guy I know who has Sitka shorts. You know, and I just tell everybody, if you can't find them on the website or in the catalog, call Corey Pearsall at customer service and ask him where to get the mountain shorts in the Sitka subalpine pattern. Really? You're the only person, that's the first time I've ever seen that. Yeah. Huh. Well, anyhow, Sitka gear. (laughs) Great company, makes great products. Here supporting conservation, hunting, everything else. We're happy that they are part of this. Uh, then we got GoHunt.com, who we've, by the time we're all done, every person in the audience, I'm pretty sure is going to be a subscriber to GoHunt. They because, should be because they have a free trial going on right now. Yeah. You know how I, you said I don't take notes? Look yeah. what I brought today. Notes. It says right there, if wow. for the Elk Talk podcast, the promo code for the 30-day free trial, send them to GoHunt.com forward slash, that's, that's this way, right? Forward, yeah, yeah like leaning right. forward. Elk talk. Elk talk, one word. And then they get a 30-day free trial. Yep. The behind the curtains kind of everything. everything. Full insider membership. Wow. Draw odds. You get yeah. everything. And again, I know we've talked about it, but I love that I can go through and say, if I want to hunt Colorado and I have this many points or I have no points, I can right. filter that and say, yeah. which units can I draw with zero points? And then I can say, which unit has a potential for 300-plus bull? Which unit has... 75% public land, which unit has an archery season, all of these different filters, and it's a map over there, and pretty soon they're disappearing. There's two units left that fit my criteria. Right. Click on that unit on the map, and shoom, boom, there's all your information about so that unit. free trial. Go and sign up. See how awesome it is. You have nothing to lose for 30 days. Yep. Gohunt.com forward slash elk talk. Yep. So th- there's this... Rocky Mountain RMHC. Yeah, there's HC there's, is what hunting calls. I believe so. Rocky Mountain hunting calls. Yeah, you yeah. know you know a thing or two about those. I don't. Did you bring your calls with? Today? I didn't. No, you got they them are under lock and key. Yeah, they have those little uh, keypad lock and key safes, safes in, in the hotel room. So they're inside there today. Uh, there you go. Yeah, people want to know where they well, can get that. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta gotta be careful where you bring them out in public. All right, and well, the company that you're keeping. Well, if they go to Rocky Mountain <laughs> hunting calls. They can get 15% off by using the promo code Elk Talk. Elk Talk. Yep. I mean, we're making people so much money by watching we're, and we're listening to We're not making them money, but we're saving them Sit, money. There you go. Well, dollar saved, a dollar earned, That's, right? I guess absolutely. Same thing. So. We are making them money. And then yeah. we have the good folks at OnX who make, like, the most revolutionary product in the world. If so you're awesome. Honor. I mean, Al Gore thinks he's important because he invented the internet. Yeah. Or so he says. Eric Siegfried, who invented OnX, 
he makes Al Gore look like a complete blowhard downstreamer. Yeah. <laughs> Which some listening would say uh, he, he, he was that before, before we knew Eric that. invented on a See, this podcast goes to heck. <laughs> Anyhow, and, and the rest of them are going to say, who's Al Gore? Yeah. That's true. true. Very true. <laughs> I'm aging myself. You so are. You're, you're pulling up your I am. I, I just pulled up to see where we're at. We're at Big yeah. Sky Resort. Big Sky Got the Ram Resort. Charger. Yeah. We're right by the Ram. Ooh, there's a disc golf right there. Yeah. yeah, this is accurate. Yeah. And so with that, if you go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK. What was that? You, Elk Talk? Elk Talk. We are getting good at this. Yeah. They get what Corey's got in his hand there, 20% discount. 20% discount on the Hunt app membership. Yep. Not the chips, the Hunt app. Yep. So, Which is way better. Now that we paid the bills, I am so <laughs> interested to hear Dirk tell me all these things about Corey as he tells us. I, I, I mean, we can't just pick on you, so... The thread I want him to to weave is... Talk about top five mistakes, top and they five may or may mis- not be my top five mistakes. Right. Is that what you're saying? They, they, he can talk about them in, like, the third person. <laughs> you know, like, a, I'm asking for a brother or asking for a friend <laughs> kind of thing. for a friend. He'll say, you know, I, one time I have this friend, and I, you aren't going to believe what he did. So... <laughs> yeah. do you, we what want version of the truth do you want? Oh, oh. we... <laughs> Everybody on our podcast knows that truth is like just a relative yeah. thing, you know. It's all over the place. Right. I mean, you don't want to be that much more truthful than your guests. Right. And Corey already told me that, well, with Dirk, that means we don't have to be truthful at all if it's relative <laughs> to the truthfulness of our guests. I so, may or may not have, yeah. have set you up to be telling yeah. lies. Well, so, I believe it. I believe that. So with that, uh, we I know we probably didn't give you enough prep time, Dirk, but... If just like the first thing that comes to your head, what's the biggest mistake you you've made in your hunting life hunting oh, elk? Oh, I thought or, I was gonna talk about Corey's mistakes. <laughs> well, no, you gotta you gotta <laughs> twist it to that. that I, that's the path we're friend. going to. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's one time. Um, I think probably one of my biggest mistakes when I was a young buck mm-hmm. was uh, giving up too easy. Ah, I like that. Um, one. You know, I'm taking uh, notes here. Okay, good. So, at that time, I was kind of an inexperienced backcountry hunter. Um, usually, I hunted the front country and uh, went to the backcountry. I was pretty overwhelmed hunting solo. And I've got some bulls bugling down in these big, nasty, steep and deep holes. And I just don't have the toolbox in my head, I, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> to go after them. Looking back now, I'm like... You idiot. <laughs> what were you thinking? Uh-huh. I mean, it, it wasn't that far down in compared to what we do today. Yeah. And and, uh, and that was back in the heyday of elk hunting, when it, too. Idaho was big great. Bulls yeah, there were lots big, of bulls. Massive bulls. And I regret that. Was that a function of, I... I just don't feel like I mentally have the tools to get one out of there if I shoot it? Right. Or just, you know what, I haven't really... Because I went through this phase similar to that where I was thought there's, there's got to be an easier place. You know, right. there's got to be one just uphill from the road. Exactly. Here. And I'd walk away from, I mean, I can't call very good, so I didn't have big, bold bugling any down <laughs> below me like you did. But uh, so I'm, I often wonder when people have that kind of, um, I'm just heck with it kind of feeling. Is it? Because they just don't feel they're at that point where they have the skills to take care of it, to do whatever, or 
Because very seldom is it that they're just lazy and want to give up. Right. Mine, mine was, uh, I kind of listened to my old man all, uh, my whole life. <laughs> and he always said, make sure you kill those out close to the road because that elk meat won't help you a bit packing it out. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I don't even know if I had a legitimate pack frame at the time. Okay. Uh, or even good meat bags or any of that kind of stuff. Right. I knew I could go down there and kill one. Yeah. But... I didn't think I'd be able to get it out by myself. Gotcha. And if I'd have known then what I know now about how, how to do it, break them down, put them in bags, make little trips up the hill until it's done. Yeah. Ah, uh, man, I'd have stacked them up. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, huh. but so, I, you know, I kind of shied away from that and, and that was a big mistake. I, I should have just had been better prepared. Yeah. Have better equipment. Not saying I had to have the most expensive equipment, but right. you have to have good meat bags the flies aren't going to get through right. you have to have a legitimate pack frame of some sorts that will carry a heavy load mm-hmm. um, you have to have the knowledge to know how to break down an elk yep. put them in said bags and then get it out of there and a lot of people i think are overwhelmed by like oh man how am i going to get this whole elk out of the woods right now yeah. and i like to say how do you eat a horse well one bite at a time <laughs> right i've never eaten a horse but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, usually heard you eat an elephant. But yeah. You could actually apply that because I know people that oh. eat horse. Do, yeah. do you, I, because all three of us get to interact with a lot of other hunters, uh, a lot of them ask questions. I would say what you, and I, I feel kind of stupid, Dirk, that I didn't have that on my top five because I, I gave up really easily. And it was a combination yeah. of a lot of things. Is I thought there would be an easier way. Right. Uh, but I really was fearful of some of the place, because I grew up whitetail hunting, you'd, dr- you'd drag them. That, yeah. was, that was it. You know, let's drag this deer out so we can all go to the chiropractor the next day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, the idea of shooting an elk was, it, I was almost thankful it took me so long to kill one. Because mentally, and just skill set wise, I was not prepared of what it would have taken to break one down and get it out. Right. And eat the horse a bite at a time, like yeah. you said. Yeah. At that time in my hunting, you know, my brother and I had hunted the low country, and I hate to even admit this, but all the elk we'd shot, we'd loaded hole in the back of the pickup. <sighs> Extra points, And I don't man. even want to tell you how many that, that happened on because it was flat ground, you know, old logging roads everywhere, yeah. and, and that, was, that was a fun hunt. But I kind of, I graduated from that. I yeah. wanted more. I wanted more adventure, but I didn't have the tools or the knowledge um, because my old man, like I said, yeah, he ain't going to help me. He's like, yeah, that help me. he's not going to help you a bit. Neither am I. So, so. Oh, dang. I, I, I am impressed. I've never got one out hole. That, uh, that, we've, we've talked about that. No, yeah. I, I, I think if you get an elk out hole, if, if it was, if you're into scores, you should get to add like 30 points to oh, the absolutely. score. Only 30? Maybe I more. thought it was instantly 400 class status. If well, you maybe, get one out whole. Hey, you've impressed me to the point where it's oh. close to 400 class status. I got a bunch of 400 inch spikes and raghorns, man. <laughs> uh, Those so are usually the ones you find close to the road. I was yeah. say, so is, yeah. that, is that the moral of the story, yeah. Dirk? Is yeah. The, the spikes and raghorns? Spikes and raghorns. That's what you get if you want to load them whole. Huh. See, and I, I think I was on the opposite end of that. Yeah. You know, my dad, he went deep. And Steve, mm-hmm. and I remember the first time Dirk and I hunted together, we were, I think I was a freshman, Dirk was a sophomore in high school, 
and we just loaded up in, I don't remember what kind of truck you had at that time, a little Mazda yeah, maybe? Yeah, a little black Mazda. And uh, loaded up in it, and we went steep and deep that first night. I mean, we, it was after school, we drove up, and we found <laughs> the deepest, darkest, nastiest hole, <laughs> and we never heard an elk bugle. And we just dropped down in there. I think Dirk was questioning me, yeah, oh, why yeah. are we going down in yeah, there? We aren't down. even hearing an elk bugle. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a long night, long hike out. And I'm glad we really? didn't get one because we didn't have flashlights. I we didn't we have anything. A mountain, maybe a, like a, a 16 ounce mountain, mountain dew sitting in the pickup for us. <laughs> yep. No meat bags. I mean, we had no clue. We had two bags uh, of Frito-Lays because yeah, we, we knew the Frito-Lay driver and they were. Yeah. we had some stale chips that we'd thrown in <laughs> with us. Uh, uh, oh, gosh. You guys aren't painting that great of a picture for being now elk experts with the world looks to. <laughs> well, I, I think it gives everyone hope. That yeah, <laughs> we started at the lowest point. Yeah. Uh, when you guys said that, I, I, there was a little spike of jealousy for me because I didn't grow up in a place where when I was a sophomore in high school, I could have jumped in a truck and went elk hunting after yeah. school. And I bet you there's a lot of people listening and watching this that... In, had that same spike of jealousy I had. Of, yep. I oh. wish I lived in a place where I could go do that. Totally. I can't even tell you how lucky I was where I grew up. I could be in bugling bulls 10 minutes from my house every morning before school. I hunted every day of September all through high school every morning. It was incredible. Wow. And wow. I had uh, wood shop the first, first period class. and my wood shop teacher was a good old boy uh -huh. and I'd always be late if it was a good day of bugling <laughs> and he's like, What'd you see today? You know, he, he'd let me slide. He wouldn't mark me tardy if I could give him a good hunting story. Right. So I might have had to embellish a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to see oh, had him side. right in. The wind yeah. messed me up. It was a 400-inch bull right <laughs> off the road. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a really good first one. I, I think attitude, even at this point in my life, having the right attitude that day is a, a big part of whether or not I'm going to be successful. Yep. Absolutely. If, if I get out of the tent and say, I'm not that energetic, I, it's, I, it needs to be easy today, I'm probably not going to find any elk. Right? And I think that comes from confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think we had confidence back yeah. then. And, and whether it was confidence in being able to get one out, confidence in the fact that why drop clear down in there if we aren't going to be able to call it in, you know, all of those things that I think confidence is so important that gives you perseverance or gives you just that grit to be able to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Cool. That's that's number one. I, I don't know if you're gonna, in your list of five. You're probably going to struggle to come up with a better one. <laughs> oh no, than he that, started but. at the bottom. That's number five. So <laughs> oh, okay. next oh, yeah. one that's a little yeah. better. Number yeah, four. Yeah. I'm taking I'm taking notes here. What's what's <laughs> number? Well, whether two or four, depending on which part. Whether we're climbing up the ladder or going down the ladder. Well, we talk a lot. Corey and I talk a lot about being aggressive. Aggressive elk hunting. You know, taking the game to the elk. So you think that people are too passive? Well, or yes, there's there's two sides to that. I think a lot of folks sit on the sidelines and and feel like they're a little a little too passive. They don't want to screw it up. They're like, ah, this might be my only chance, and I don't want to blow it. Yeah. So then they kind of hang back and hang back, and then the elk gets disinterested. He doesn't feel threatened. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't come in. So he just kind of like, eh, he loses interest and goes on. But on the flip side. A big mistake, I think I kind of accuse myself of this <laughs> today still, is being over-aggressive. Yeah. There's a fine line you got to walk there because, and you kind of got to, you kind of have to know and have a pulse of the, the area you're hunting. Um, if we're if we're in Idaho, running, gunning for bulls, we want to push up on them, get in, 
tight on them and and push them and push them and, and get them going. Some other states where they're more callable, we start making our way to the bull. He's on his way, catches yeah. us with our pants down. He's like, oh, there he is. And and that's that can be a huge mistake. So you kind of have to have, walk that fine line a little bit of holding your cards right until the right time. Yeah. Is so, that something you just learned over time? I think you kind of learn it after a while. You kind of, I get kind of a gut feeling. Yeah. And if I try to go away from my gut, I, it, it doesn't work. So I just kind of try to listen to my gut on it. Yeah. But that just comes with experience. And there's not like a real fast track to that. I think it just time in the woods. And I, I think we probably err on the side of aggressiveness first and then scale back rather than build up into it. Absolutely. I think we come out of the gates swinging and running. And then after a couple of, of messed up setups or hunts, then we start pulling back if needed. And right. I know huh. several years ago, I drew Arizona with a couple friends and we've all hunted Idaho and we're used to the bulls being a little more timid. You have to get in their face. You have to make things happen. Yeah. And we got to Arizona and everybody told us, you can't call in elk down here. They won't call in. They won't come to calls, leave the calls at home. And so we hit it out of the gate and we heard one bugle. It's like, run for him. And so we're running at this elk and all of a sudden we're heads up and the elk's running at us and it took five or six call-ins. And of course, you know, I'm the youngest one in the group. I'm running and gunning. And finally, Ralph, the guy we were hunting with, he uh, he got pretty animated yeah. and said, the elk are always right there. Slow down. And, and we did. We had to slow down because we could literally get an elk to bugle and really? set up and they would come in. And wow. that's not how we're used to hunting. So we had to scale yeah. back our aggressive approach. And I think that's... Uh, uh, and I agree with Dirk, being too timid, too many people don't make something happen because they're too timid in yeah. elk, especially when we're talking about calling and hunting the rut. I'm, I, that, that's my problem. I'll, I'll admit, I'm, but in, I think there's a couple of reasons why at times I approach it as being timid and, and move towards aggressive versus how you guys do it is one is just worried that and like you said i'm gonna blow them out of here and i'm like i found elk <laughs> last thing i want to do is blow them out right well the, then there's also the not necessarily knowing what to do how to call them in what uh, how, what what are they saying what should i say yeah because i'm not or you know some great elk caller so i'm worried that i'm gonna scare them off so i'm kind of like well, maybe I'll get an opportunity here. Maybe if I just kind of sneak around the edges and, oh, man, he, there he is at 60 yards. And, and so I almost become a spot and stock guy at yeah. times. And I screw it up every time. So you think by now I'd learn that <laughs> you had nothing to lose, Randy. Get after it. Yeah. Come out swinging. But I would say I'm, I'm one of those guys that, that you mentioned starts out way too passive. Dirk, what, what do you think? Why is it that people are too timid? I, I think they feel like they're only going to get one shot or one opportunity at an elk or to get close to an elk. And they're so scared of wasting and squandering that opportunity. They want to play it safe, play it safe, play it safe. And then opportunity slips them by. Yeah. I mean, you look at, look, look, here's an analogy. Uh, guys run around the bar, right? Mm -hmm. You got, you got a wallflower <laughs> over there and he's like, oh man. And he's got a girl that's kind of smiling at him and he smiles back but he don't have the confidence to just go over there and say hey how you doing yeah. you know sweep her off her feet right. meanwhile some other cheese ball walks up and is like hey how's it going <laughs> she walks out of there with him right. and the, the nice guy on the side that had no confidence he mm -hmm. goes home and yeah. wishes he would have done something different yes so. he, he has to watch her 
Roseanne Bard reruns that <laughs> night or something. Exactly. Uh, huh. So confidence. I mean, confidence. You, you said confidence Absolutely. a couple times. Every yep. time. Um, in confidence, that just, I guess, comes from preparation. Right. If, if you've prepared with your elk calls, if you've prepared with your equipment, that gives you a lot of confidence. And then research, you know, and then just time in the woods. Just get out there and then kind of believe in yourself and just get with it. Yeah. For me, I've even in rifle season, I've, I've kind of went back and over the 10 years of filming and however many years of, of elk hunting, I, I have journals of what day I shot the elk, uh, all those things had I seen it earlier in the hunt. And I, I uh, you think I would start out aggressive because of what my notes show is people will say, why do you guys always kill one on the last day of season? Well, because we get more aggressive and get desperate and ratchet yeah, up the aggression. Like, yeah. We should have done it, should have did that on the first day. Yeah. yeah. We killed one or had a really close encounter. If we didn't kill it, it would have given us five, four or five more days to go find another elk to, ha- to do the same thing. Right. But on the flip side, you know, when we were hunting New Mexico, we went hard for what, six days yeah. and aggressive and finally had to realize that spot and stock was going to be the only effective method. So we had to scale back the aggression and, and be patient and find a bull that was in a stockable location. And true. But I, I think that what we're talking about, that aggressive calling, if you're going to call the aggressive, uh, I still think we were aggressive on that spot and stock. It was the last afternoon of the hunt. We had to make that one happen. So right. it was a, a different kind of aggression. We didn't sit back and wait for the bull to stand up and hope he walked by us. We pushed into right. 30 yards or whatever and got a shot. So I, I really think aggression no matter what your style is if it's spot and stock you know just taking chances more so than than sitting back and being patient and hoping something happens trying to make something happen i think fits our style better yeah i i would go to back to the point one of you made that the more i build my confidence and knowledge the more aggressive i get the more comfortable i am being aggressive that you know what i'm gonna find another one if i screw this up not the end of the world what do i got to lose and people need to be confident in their calling yeah. You don't have to be a world champion to call an elk. You you can sound pretty fair, but if you can throw a bunch of emotion into that call and let that elk know you mean business, yeah. that triggers it. My brother, when we first started hunting, he sounded like a whip dog or something. He sounded horrible, <laughs> but he would make bulls so mad because there was all this, you could, you could tell there was all this aggression in his bugle, it's, no matter yeah. how bad it sounded, and it would make them mad and they would come in. So... Yeah. You have to believe in your calls. You got to believe in yourself. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Last year we were in New Mexico. It was near the end of the rut. It was right where that transition from peak rut to post rut. And the last day, Tracy Pettit was, she was the hunter and I was bugling and this bull just kept moving off. I'm like, oh, dang. And he'd make a bugle as he pushed his cows, but he was probably a four and a half year old bull, not like an old monster. And I made the weirdest whiny cow call I've ever made. And he'd like, <laughs> what? Oh, he got wound up. I'm like, well, I'll try that again. It sounds stupid. I hope that the camera isn't recording this because people are going to think it's like a dog got his tail slammed in the door or something. <laughs> that guy came over the ridge, man. He was like, where is she? It was just a, hey, if that's what they want, I'll, I'll give it to them. Yep. And she shot that bull at less than 70 yards. I mean, this was a rifle hunt. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, back to your point, I'm not the greatest caller, but if they tell me what they want, I'll, I'm, I'm happy, you know? Yep. Or if they don't tell you, you're willing to experiment and get aggressive on 
not just yeah. laying back and hoping. Yeah, and uh, that has definitely come with time. So, yeah. all right, number three, Dirk. I think uh, a lot of people put too much emphasis on their plan A. I've done all this scouting. I've done all this research. I know this area like the back of my hand. And I'm going to go there on opening day, and I'm going to shoot an elk. And then it's kind of like, well, is a Mike Tyson that says everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. Well, <laughs> opening day shows up, you don't hear an elk bugle. Did Mike Tyson see. really say something that intelligent? I, I, he, well, he, he might have said it a little differently than yeah. I did. But. <laughs> it gets attributed to him all the time, yeah. does it? Yeah. yeah. I That's remember he said... Everybody wants to put me up on a pedicure or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think that what yeah. it is is he didn't he didn't pay attention in history class when I think it was MacArthur or Patton said that every war plan is only good until the first shot is fired. Oh yeah, kind of. He, he just altered it. Yeah, he's, he everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Corey. Hey, I didn't know you were an impersonator. You got like oh, a yeah. Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump impersonation. Or something too. But hey, no, sorry, sorry to distract from that. The, but uh, the people yeah, so, aren't adaptable. Yeah, they they think you know they've got all this faith in this one spot, and I know there's elk. There's been here. I shot an elk here three years ago, and I know that I'll go in there and get one again. Well. What we've found, we've learned this the hard way, living in Idaho, it's wolf-ridden, right, mm -hmm. North Idaho. And just because it was good yesterday doesn't mean it's going to be good tomorrow. Right. And we go in there and we don't get the reaction. If we're not hearing bulls, if we're not seeing the sign, we're moving. Yeah. So you have to have a, I say a uh, plan A through Z, whatever it takes. So well, while you're doing all your due diligence, all your e-scouting, yeah. um, you have to have several areas within a large area to where you go to the first one and it doesn't work out that's okay i'm gonna go over here i'm gonna go over here i'm yeah. gonna go over here you know, a lot of folks don't understand what it takes sometimes to put it all together i'll yeah. use my idaho hunt from this last fall just for for instance i have i set my my base camp up in a central location in this big area i want to canvas this entire area and i've got every ridge system and every drainage and everything mapped out in my head and i've even got a checklist if where i'm gonna go one two three four five six okay yeah. day one i drive 45 miles from my camp and hunt wow okay got into elk had it usually doesn't happen like this on day one <laughs> got into bugle and bulls had a great day but there was a lot of wolf sign and a lot of other hunters i'm like you know what i'm gonna go somewhere else drove back to camp Drove 30 miles the opposite direction and found a bull that wanted to play, and I was fortunate enough to take him. Yeah. But, and that's probably a little bit more extreme than a lot of people are willing to do, but you have to have that mindset that I'm not going to get hung up on one spot. Yeah. Just because I had an elk bugle here two days ago, if you want bugle now, that's okay. I'm going to the next spot. I know there's... A good spot. Oh, there's that one place I've always wanted to check out. Go check it out. Yeah. You'll be regretful if you don't. Yeah. So no, I, I, if I didn't know better, I'd think that you did our e-scouting video. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't seen we, it. So we no, it's one that we just recorded. Is that it? Won't be live for about another oh. five or six weeks. When you were talking about this, giving yourself some uh, options. In the video, I say, all right, I've got general area A, general area B, general area C, and sometimes I'll have general area D, and I camp somewhere nearby, 
And then I'm going and experimenting. In the morning, I'm going to try this. In the afternoon, I'm going to try that. Well, this area just isn't working out. I'm moving to area B. So when you're talking about your list of places and things, yeah. I'm like, man, sounds like I, I might have stole Dirk's notes for that. <laughs> right? scouting. I don't know, but we did yet. talk about camp locations, and I don't think we were willing to go 45 miles one direction and 30 the other. That's... Nah. That's, that's central, but it's like And that's universal. on mountain roads, gravel yeah. mountain roads. You, you know yeah. how I drive. Yeah. I get there. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, I try to get there too, but I, I just, the time for me, yeah. it's the time it takes. Getting up that much earlier. Oh, but, yeah. Well, I, I would say, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of times where I got, I call it, I think, this is kind of close to what one of each of ours where a month yeah. we had it like what stuck in a rut Backup or something plans, like, yeah, fail, yep. refusing to experiment what, something yep. like that and i think we've all had that experience where it just wasn't working wasn't yep. working we kept trying the same thing for four days finally we just said heck with it and we went and did something that if our buddies saw it they'd probably laugh at us and we killed an elk oh yeah and even though that whatever we did that day may not have been the answer in all instances as a general rule, the lesson it taught me is when you're stuck in a rut, go do something different. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Whatever it, whatever something different is, go do something different. Anything different. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do the same thing over and over <laughs> and in I'm the a, same place. I'm a huge fan of being unorthodox in little yeah. ways what, of doing what, what stuff. What do you mean by unorthodox? Well, when, for instance, especially in North Idaho, it's so darn brushy, right? <laughs> I, I drive through North Idaho. When I look at that country... I'm not tough enough to hunt there. I, <laughs> it's horrible. If, if you guys told me if I went there, I could shoot a 350-inch bull every year, I still don't think I'd go there. <laughs> it doesn't look like any fun to hunt no, in. it's horrible. I don't know why I do it, but every year I'm like, I got to go back. <laughs> but so, oh. you know, being aggressive, okay, a lot of people, we'll touch on that again, would not be very aggressive. Let's say you get a bull come, come into 50 yards. Mm -hmm. You can't see him. There's a fair amount of timber and brush and cover, and he just locks up. You got a stalemate. And this is yeah. kind of a, this is typical for elk everywhere. They won't come that last little distance so yeah. you can shoot them. Uh, something or unorthodox I've been doing for a lot of years is if once I've decided there's a stalemate and he's not coming, uh -huh. I'll almost wait till he like turns to go and I'll light into him. I'll, I'll, I will scream a huge... The meanest, nasty challenge bugle I can, and I will run at that sucker. And really? I think it's important here to uh, let the listeners know what the name of that is. <laughs> uh -oh. well, does, does it have a, it, it it has a name? name? <laughs> well, I, I might have coined the, the phrase, the Weipe Whizbang. <laughs> the what? Weipe Whizbang. That's the small town I grew up oh, in, oh, right? Oh, okay. Weipe, right. Idaho. Weipe, Idaho. Yeah, like, tiny wow, little town. Wow. Okay. Population of 500 and 36 or something. Cool. But, I, uh, the Weipe uh, Whizbang. Yeah. Really? It's, yeah. I, I can remember the the day and the place I was standing when he when he coined it that name. Or at least when <laughs> he shared it with me. Wow. Yeah. We were hunting that year uh, when you came down and hunted with me, the 2003, 2004 oh, something. Yeah. And we were chasing that bull up through the burn and you were gasping for air and that <laughs> six by seven turned back down the hill and came down and you said, I'm going to do the wee ape whiz bang on him. I said, you're going to do what? <laughs> <laughs> and you bugled and took off running at him, and he turned and came back. I mean, he was moving up 120 yards away with cows, and he turned and came right back down the ridge. Really? Yeah. Did you get an encounter with him? We did. We didn't get, I don't, did we get a shot? Uh, I don't 
I don't think. Yeah, I don't want to throw you so. under the bus. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just. Yeah, I'm not going to say Dirk missed. I, yeah, I don't. I, we won't talk about yeah, it. We are whiz bang. Yeah. So that's yeah, that, very unorthodox. That sounds unorthodox. Most people aren't going to ca- take all their chips, put them on the table in this one fell swoop to be seen by this elk. He's 50 yeah. yards, but you got to know where to stop. Yeah. You want to run till you can maybe get a shooting lane because a lot of times that elk will hear at you and, and he will be like, oh, here he is. He's going to show himself. So he wants to see you. So he'll kind of circle to the left or right, whichever way. And look, he wants to see you before he leaves huh. because you gave him that last little bit of uh, a confidence that you wanted to fight. He's like, okay, all right, maybe I will fight you. And he'll turn and you might get a shot. Now, I've had it happen the opposite way, and he'll tuck tail and run. But but at that point, what do you have to lose? Right. right. But then yeah. they'll usually bugle from the next ridge over, and we'll just do it again. Yeah. So. Huh. Have you guys found that if you blow an opportunity, that if you stay on them, you'll get another opportunity? Or is that sometimes, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't? If, if you win, uh, if they win them, if they win you, then it's game over, of course. Yeah. But... Yeah. I think yeah. that's the key. If they see you and, and can tell you're a human, human. then it's, it's iffy. You yeah. still might be able to get on them. If they wind you, it's, I, I really don't think you have a chance. Anytime, you know, in the next few hours, they're moving. They're on their escape route. They know there's danger there. Um, but if they just hear you and get nervous and move off, or if they see something that isn't quite right and they move off, we several times will give them 15 minutes and then head back up the ridge, slip in there close and get them fired back up. And, and that's, I think, where persistence comes in is if they haven't truly busted out of there, stay with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've had several elk that we've called in to three or four different setups that we've stayed on, and finally they get mad, and they turn and come in to, this is the final showdown, you know, and yeah. they come in and, and we get a shot. So that persistence as well as just sticking with the hunt or sticking cool. after it. So would you say number four is be unorthodox? Yeah. And- well, yeah, I guess you could say that. Okay. Yeah. Because you be started on, be on, on that, and I didn't know if yeah. that was your number well, four. We, we or could, if we were we just could, going we could down throw that in the holes. back in the back too. I don't know if I'm going to have five of them here, but <laughs> but, but uh, or if you have nine, we can go to nine. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're, I mean, we're only thing we're limited by is how quick the dilly bar is going to melt in that cooler. <laughs> <laughs> but so we've talked about give up too easy. Aggressive versus passive, not willing to adapt. Kind of maybe 3A was don't be afraid to be unorthodox or be unorthodox. Yeah. yeah. Where else are we going with this? So I think another one is not having your equipment be functional and flawless. Okay. Got a couple analogies. So a few years ago, I had some cousins of mine to come out to Idaho. They wanted to go elk hunting. And... I said, sure, let's go. So took him out, and uh, it was a rough year. It was really dry and hot, and we were having a hard time getting on some elk. And the last day of season, we I knew this nasty, nasty hole that usually held some elk and bugle down in there, and there's a growly bull down there. So hiked in, hiked in, hiked in. I'm like, okay. We, we didn't make any more noises until we tried to get a strategic spot so we could have, <clears throat> excuse me, wind in our favor and to where he could just come side hill right to us instead of have to come up or go down just and then have some shooting lanes. We got the shooting lanes all set up and I said, okay. I told my cousin, I said, all right, get ready. You stand here. I think he's going to come over here. 
gonna have a nice clear spot to shoot here. When, he, when his head goes behind the tree, draw your bow. He steps out, shoot him. Okay, got it. Made a couple quiet cow calls. Bang. Screams. So then I just cut him off. Well, you can hear this guy coming through the woods. He sounds like a bulldozer. <laughs> just crash, crash, crash. He, he is coming. And I'm, I've got my bow ready just in case that my cousin doesn't get her done. I thought, well, maybe I'll get a shot too because we're standing out two birds side by side. Here comes this bull. Just like, it was almost like we'd scripted it. Yeah. He's walked right behind that tree. My cousin draws his bow. Bull walks out, stops, and he gave a little bit extra pull on his string or something, yeah. and his arrow falls off. <laughs> and the bull just tucktails yeah. and runs. I'm like, what happened? Well, put your arrow back up there. He draws it back. Well, if he drew it back just right, then the broadhead didn't catch on his rest. <laughs> his arrows were too short. Oh, no. So he gave it a little bit extra in the heat there right. and cost him uh, a bull of a lifetime. He said, was it big? I said, that, that's a bull of a lifetime around <laughs> oh, here. Oh, no. It was a monster. Oh. Uh, Dog on it. And <clears throat> the game was over. Right. So, so you have to work out these little kinks and all these little weird things in mm -hmm. your equipment in the off season. You got to be shooting your bow. You got to try to get your broadheads out, you know, more than a couple days before season starts. You know, you got to make sure they're hitting yeah. or your field points are hitting or at least hitting accurately yeah. to where you know when you pull your bow back and a bull's in range, you're going to hit him and kill him. Yeah. Which is part of what we're doing here today. It's total archery challenge. We Absolutely. Went and shot the course here and... Found out that we have a few things to iron out between now and <laughs> September. And, but I will say I'm, I'm shooting a slider sight this year. Yeah. And Dirk is as well. Yeah. I think we both would agree that made a huge difference to be able to dial in, especially on those longer ranges. Yeah. Put the pin on the target and execute a good shot. You can hit long range shots, not for hunting purposes, but it just makes us that much better at, at hunting situations. And yeah. so I think, you know, coming to, to 3D shoots and working out issues with gear... We're carrying our hunting packs. We're wearing our hunting boots. We're, you know, a lot of the, the gear we're using in September, we're putting through the test right now. And yeah, it's important. Right. And then the little, the little things on your daily hunt, people overlook yeah. uh, of your gear. Okay. Here's another analogy. I've made this mistake twice in my hunting career. You don't have a friend who made this mistake. <laughs> he hasn't thrown me under the bus. I haven't. Yeah, not yet. I, uh, yeah. we, we I'm just trying to speak from personal. Ooh, all, we're just about out of time. <laughs> yeah. the all worked up that we're going to get some dirt uh, on Corey. And you, yeah. All right. Anyhow, these, so, that has happened to you a couple so, times. Yeah. So, for instance, if you have electronics, mm -hmm. you know, they're powered by batteries. Mm -hmm. Something really important when you're a hunting elk is flashlights yeah okay. your flashlights have to have batteries and you have to have spare batteries right that's and a good some idea spare batteries for the spare batteries right <laughs> right yep. so i've twice i've shot an elk this year included yeah. was one of the times shot him right before dark get him all worked up and it's like i'm not gonna i'm gonna savor those batteries in the flashlight because i know they're good until until you know for the pack out right yeah so you get the the ball worked up and hanging and stuff. It's like, all right, it's dark. I can't see anymore. Time to get the flashlight out. And the first time I did it, I got my flashlight out and it looked like you had a candle. It was that dead. <laughs> and I was two and a half miles from the pickup on this sketchy, tra brushy trail that was hard to follow. Well, somebody ribboned the trail 
earlier in the year. So in my ignorance on the way down, I was like, who ribbons these You're trails? Pulling the ribbons I'm down. pulling the ribbons oh, down. No. Well, what kind of idiot would do that? I should have pulled them out when I left, right? right? Yeah. So I'm fighting my way out of the, this brush hole trail, and I'm holding that flashlight about a foot off the ground <laughs> trying to, to keep the trail. And that was that was brutal. That was yeah. bad. That was not made it happen. It worked out, but it could have been easier. Yeah. If I'd have had a trail of blood with that, I'd have been Ooh, I'd have been done. Bad. So so on on uh, headlamp flashlight stuff. You guys carry an extra headlamp or just extra batteries? I carry a headlamp and a flashlight. Okay. So I and actually carry. Batteries. Yeah, I have a I have a. Easily accessible flashlight and a headlamp in the top pouch of my pack. Mm-hmm. And then in my kill kit, I also have a small flashlight with two extra batteries in there so that if we do kill one, you know, after dark or have to pack it out after dark, I've got spares there for that occasion in addition to the extra batteries I have for my original flashlight. So, yeah, I, I just carry two headlamps and extra batteries. Yeah. Now, so. this year in Idaho, day one, I said, you know, had a good day. Hiked out in the dark, got back to the pickup, took my headlight, took my flashlight, set it on the seat of the pickup. And I said to myself, put that in your pack, yeah. you lazy bum. But I was tired. And I thought, no, I'll get it in the morning. <laughs> I'll never forget yep. it. <laughs> so the next morning, I go out hunting. And, of course, Lucky got this elk, nice elk down, and I get him all worked up. It's like, all right. And I'm in some nasty, nasty country, no trail. Mm-hmm. and steep and a lot of snow on the ground. Oh. And it was trek- using trekking poles to get in just yeah. so I wouldn't slip to my death. Yeah. So get the bull worked up. I'm like, all right, where's that flashlight? Neither my flashlight nor my headlamp was in there. So <laughs> now. sitting on the seat of your truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I had batteries. though. <laughs> lots of batteries. Packing extra weight. Uh, so the only thing I had was my flashlight, and it's about 30%. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't figure I could carry my flashlight and go navigate the terrain with trekking poles or my 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 cell phone flashlight. Yeah. So, what do I do? I got to stay the night. Ooh. So wow. you know, but I was prepared. Yeah. It been. It had it snowed. It had rained. I had rain gear, so I was good. I had a puffy jacket, so I could stay warm. Yeah. I had some things to start fires and the worst of conditions, so yeah. I could get this fire going. I had a little extra food plus an elk down. Yeah. <clears throat> so I stayed the night. It wasn't comfortable, but I was ready to go. So, yeah. but I think the long short of it is the things that are the most crucial to your hunt and to your life. Yeah. You have to pay attention. Yeah. And don't make sure those are it. good. Don't overlook it. Don't get lazy. Yeah. It's, it's easy to do. That's probably the, the takeaway is I, I get lazy about things mm-hmm. or I get in a hurry. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to that or I don't know that I need that or and it seems like and you almost are setting yourself up totally for a problem. Or for success. That. You know, I always say the easiest way to kill an elk is to go out right before dark without a knife and a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. there you have it. Yeah. That's the secret tip of the day right there. <laughs> you want to be successful, be unprepared for success. <laughs> Uh, so, Dirk, do you do much rifle hunting, or is it mostly just all uh, rifle hunt? <clears throat> rifle hunt for whitetails, white a lot. Tails. Yeah, yeah. And but usually the bulk of my elk hunting is is bow. Okay. Um, the rifle hunting, those things are ghosts up there. Yeah. Once once they quit bugling, <clears throat> yeah, I don't Good know. Luck, huh? The guys shoot them, but 
Yeah. I don't know how. I'm a terrible rifle hunter. Well, so. you've seen it driving through. It's not only steep and rugged, it's so incredibly yeah. brushy that yeah. trying to find those bulls have sanctuaries anywhere they want to go that yeah. you're not going to get them out of. Yeah. I, I, like I said, you guys don't have enough love or money to get me to hunt northern <laughs> Idaho. You don't, you don't have to worry about me as any, not that I'm much competition anyhow, but you don't <laughs> need to worry about me showing up and taking space at your trailhead. Right. And just, I, <laughs> I know that some listeners are going to be like, Newberg, you're a wuss. Yeah, I am. Yep. I'm, I'm getting older and a little smarter. North but, Idaho looks great on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There. Oh, and then yeah. you, then you look, look around. Green and it's like, lush it is. I, I don't even know how you can walk through that stuff. It's, oh, it's terrible. It's, it's bad. I, I see it, and it reminds me of the Sitka blacktail hunt I'm doing in Alaska in a week. Oh. Two weeks. Yeah. It, <laughs> They, they, last time we went, the guy we go with, he said, yeah, it's a mile and a quarter. We gained 1,200 feet elevation, and Ooh. it'll take six hours. I looked at Tyler Johnerson, my camera guy, and Tyler smiled at me. He's like, there's no terrain in North America <laughs> that's going to take us six hours to climb 1,200 feet and go a mile and a quarter. Six hours later, we kind of broke through the canopy there, and oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, it reminds me when, when I drive yeah. through your country. That's yeah. yep. what goes through my head. I, elk, there's got to be elk that die old age there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just because of that. Yeah. If the uh, wolves don't get them. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So. Well, <clears throat> wait, wait, you got to have some. We're down to number one. We, we, that was only four, wasn't it? Kind of four. Kind of four, four and, and a half. Four and a third. Do you have another one? I do. Okay. I yeah. do. And this one comes on Corey a lot. <laughs> All this, right. this one. Here we go, folks. This, one, this one's on Corey. Um, we but this talked, is number five, not number one, right? We, we aren't going backwards now. Well, all right, right, it doesn't down. matter. This, this <laughs> is the number one the gate tip. is open now. The uh, number one tip, and it's all about Corey. So, you mean a, a friend, someone you know. My, <laughs> we weren't going to use names the, here. Oh, oh, we weren't supposed to name names? Okay. So uh, we've talked about being aggressive. Um, there's, a, there's sometimes when you need to be a little more strategic when you're hunting. Okay. Correct? Okay, let's say we've got this bull answering us, but you know what? The wind, and, and I, Corey preaches wind yeah. because I think we've had our ass handed to us more times <laughs> because of screwy, wonky wind yeah. than anything. So I think everyone would say that. Yeah, yeah. and it's the worst. Mm-hmm. So... Um, sometimes we just push too hard on that win. I'm, I'm a kind of a fan, and, and we kind of differ in this opinion. I usually let him win on it, though. But uh, <laughs> he'll be like, all right, let's go. I'm like, that wind is terrible. He's like, oh, no, no, we can go. We can go around this way, and we'll work that wind. And some, a lot of times you get caught. Yeah. So, and I know he's talked a lot about, you know, obey the wind, but you have to. It's crucial. And if you have to sit on the hillside until your thermals change, and it's like, it's like watching paint dry. It's the worst yeah. thing on earth. If there's a bull <laughs> screaming down there, and you're sitting there waiting for the wind to change and the thermals to change, yeah. you have to do it. You just have to do it. Because once those thermals change, right. it's game on, and you have the upper hand now Yeah. as far as the wind goes. So be patient at some point in this hunt and make sure you, you, you obey that wind. Do you guys find that a lot of people you talk to don't quite understand what thermals are because they come from a flat country place? Or, I think so. I mean, you guys grew up in a spot. I, I get a lot of emails of, tell me about these thermal things. And if they would have been sitting right here in this booth over the last two hours, 
They would have felt when I first came up here and set this chair up, the wind was kind of going down this way. Just in the last two hours now, it's kind of going up the hill because yep. the sun has heated the ground. And yeah. I, I know that's kind of elementary maybe to a lot of people, but if you didn't grow up with it, if you live in some flat area, it's like, oh, our prevailing wind is always out of the northwest. Right. <clears throat> well, then there's a difference out. between prevailing wind and thermals. thermals. And we talk, you know, sometimes yeah. we categorize wind. Right. But we're truly talking thermals. Thermals. And the yeah. way that the, the wind currents move in the mountains usually isn't by a prevailing wind. Yeah. It's usually by the, the diurnal thermal. Yeah. Yeah. If you're on a steep open hill or steep south facing, <laughs> get it out, south facing slope, <laughs> and the hills, the uh, sun shining on the hill, you know, theoretically your your wind's going to be going up, right? Okay. You could drop down in the bottom and it's timbered. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can get in that shady timbered bottom of that draw, and that's sucking that wind straight down. Yep. When you walk ten yards. <laughs> into the timber, and then now it's sucking it straight down. You have to know these little nuances. Plus, so what it's doing there at that transition point where one, one current's going up the They're hill, one's going other. down the draw, yeah. that's where you get those swirly winds that sometimes yeah. have to back out of when you have an elk bugling in the middle of it. I think that would be a very good example of your comment, Dirk, about aggressive versus passive. Mm-hmm. You got to be slightly passive until that thermal becomes consistent. Right. And then you can be aggressive. Absolutely. But it's like it's like the traffic light. I mean, if the tra- traffic light's red, you can't go. You gotta wait for the green light. <laughs> Corey. <laughs> Was that a traffic slam so, or so. an elk hunting analogy? <laughs> well, Do I run yeah. red lights? Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> so we'll just say this is a red light wind, huh? It oh, is. Oh, there's a Absolutely. Red, red light thermal. Just yeah. stay right yeah. here. Stay right so maybe here. you need to maybe we need to use that. Corey's got the green light. I'm, I, you know what? I'm going to get, you ever, uh, <laughs> you ever seen that movie uh, Forrest Gump when uh-huh. they, they said run or they said uh-huh. stop? We're going to get some of those. <laughs> Maybe we'll put it on a ping pong paddle. It's easy to carry. <laughs> <laughs> and that way I'm going to turn around and be like, stop, Corey. <laughs> head nodding, head shaking. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so some of the questions that came up you know, since yesterday's release of the podcast, one guy said, he sent me an email last night. He's like, I, my camp selection is like the most difficult thing for me to deal with. And I emailed him and said, stay tuned. Yeah. Episode four. Of, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I, now I got distracted with uh, talking about camp. Oh, the, <laughs> the, one of the questions I got last night was, uh, how far in advance of your hunt will you go and scout? And I guess that brings the question of, do you even spend time to go and scout yeah. or do you kind of use your hunt as some of your scouting and if you do scout how far in advance do you go how many days do you go in june do you go in august do you say i mean for me uh, the easy answer is i try to get there two days early and that's my scouting right yeah because when you're not out of state you just can't it's hard you can't do it yeah yeah because i i get a lot of people like yeah i'm going out to colorado this year i'm thinking of going out in june or may i'm like well you know, those elk are going to be in different places than you're oh, probably going to see yeah. them in May or when you're going to... St- so if you can, stay home, work, yep. do whatever keeps the family time in, in good standing and take two extra days on your hunt. Yeah. Because whatever you find that close to your hunt is way more relevant to your hunting yeah. than what you find in June. Yeah. Real-time data. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you are going to go and scout the area, 
it's more to get a lay of the land, uh, maybe familiarize yourself with the area. If you're, you know, this time of year, July, August, leading up to the hunt, typically where the cows are right now is where you're going to find the bulls during the rut. And so right. finding cows right now is important. Um, I don't even bother before the first part of July to go out and actually look for elk. Yeah. And, and like you say, if you find them now, they're going to be there. If you find them during the hunt, you know they're going to be there because okay. the hunt's open, it's game on. And I always prefer to, to scout with a bugle tube because yeah. that's if you get an elk dancer, he's right there and yeah. you can hunt him. <laughs> and it's, it's funny too, you know, as far as scouting, um, if you're walking ridge tops and trails and stuff and you're not finding any elk rubs, yeah. a lot of times those elk are not going to be on those high ridge tops during September making rubs. They might get a saddle, come across from one drainage to the next and make some rubs. Yeah. But usually where you find the rubs are down in the thick of things. Yeah. You know, a third of the way to the bottom or two-thirds of the way to the bottom, down where the, there's more cover, there's more shade, there's more water. It's easier, you know, to, to rim themselves around the drainage there instead of having to climb up and down and up right. and down. And you can walk in some areas and be like, there hasn't been an elk here in 100 years. <laughs> well, no, they don't live right there. Yeah. They live a half a mile, three-quarters of a mile toward the bottom, and that's where you're going to find the sign anyway. So, um, and that's hard scouting. Yeah. When you got a bull bugling down there, you're willing to crawl into some of those holes. But right. this time of year, it's, it's hard scouting. So. I'd be interested to know if if you guys have an answer to this because I get asked it and I almost answer it with a question. Because And it's a question I don't have the answer to. Is I'll go into a place that has five finger ridges coming off a bigger ridge. Mm -hmm. And they all look the same to me. I look at it, I'm like... The, uh, 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 I should just hunt them all. Mm -hmm. But there's one of those ridges or two of those ridges that in the rut, that is where it happens every time I'm there. And maybe I'm just, maybe it's all coincidence, but it's happened to me enough times that there must be something about certain ridges, how they're located for wind, for feed, for escapement, whatever. Uh, do you guys see that? And if so, why, why is that? Why is it that way? I think that's the entire state of Montana. You drive through the entire state of Montana on the west side and every single hillside you look at, you think that is prime elk country. And then you go and hunt it and you spend two days walking through there. And I don't think an elk has ever even walked through there. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's that needle in the haystack of trying to figure out this is prime. There's feed here, there's cover, there's benches, there's water, there's everything an elk needs, but an elk's not there. Yeah. And I don't know the reason for that on, on that level, I think when you get into more specific acute accounts of a ridge with five finger ridges coming off of it and the elk are picking one ridge that they rut on, um, the cows are the ones that are, are dictating where they're at and the bulls are coming to find them. And so I think it really comes down to feed and security. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that one ridge, like you mentioned, it either has a good escape route or the winds are such that the elk are protected 75% of the day right there and they feel safe. Or it might be that ridge provides a bedding area where the thermals are coming up, but right above them, there's a really thick brush hillside that protects them with their sense of hearing. And the other ridges, maybe are just open ridges where they don't have that same protection from above. So there's a uh, reason. I, I guarantee there's a reason. It just might be just because. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. I, I still, when I see that, I'll stand there for 20 minutes just looking like which one yeah and or if i find the ridge that has all the activity i'll be looking at the other ones i'm like what the it, it all looks the same yep. but here's rubs from last year from this year some that look like 20 years 20 old. years old mm -hmm. 
And, you know, why fight it? Go yeah. on that ridge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it really comes down. I mean, we try to understand why. Yeah. You know, why this, why that. But sometimes it really comes down to, I don't know why, but they're here every year, so I'm going to go there. Right. That, that's, right. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah. I just resolved that, hey, there are certain places, especially where I get to hunt a lot in Montana, it's like, all right. I could come in here in July and I can't find an elk. I, I, I can't find any tracks. I can't find anything. I come in here September 10th and it's like an elk farm. Yep. And okay. They just <laughs> like that spot. I come here every September 10th. Put a waypoint there on your Onyx app and go back. Yeah. I, I, people have asked me that when they've experienced the same thing, I don't have an answer to it. Yeah. It's just kind of like when elk are in a, a, a feed pattern you look across, you'll say, well, all these drainages look the same, but there is something in this little drainage over here that they walk four miles and that's where they hang out to feed for that 10-day period while something is their preferred food right there. Yep. And then you go in there and there's no elk when you go in hunting. It's like, what the heck? Now they're four miles away in some little micro, what seems like a microscopic area. But they're selecting for certain things that, to the human eye, I'm I'm not smart enough to figure it out. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe there's a certain thing they're eating there that doesn't grow in the other ones. Yeah. That's um, thermal cover. Maybe it just maybe it's just set up to be a little cooler in that spot just by the the way the ridge system works. And I have to agree with what Corey said. You know, you got terrain features and and brush fields and stuff that protect them. And I think there's all those little things probably come into play. I wish I had that. I, wish, I mean, I got such a little brain. I have room for another brain in there. If I could take an elk brain, I'd understand all that stuff. But, well, there's a lot of unanswered questions to the to the world of elk hunting. Yep. And most of them that I provide are just made up along the way. Some <laughs> yeah, yeah. guy came up here early. He's like, man, thanks so much. All the stuff you put out is so helpful. I'm like, wait a second. You might want to go get a big dose of salt to throw with anything <laughs> that I said because it's worth about what you paid for it. So. But if it works, if you're, it works, if I'll you, take you're a genius, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll take all the credit in the world if it works. Yep. But, if so. it doesn't work, it's their fault. They aren't playing it right. That, uh, you know? Yeah, there you go. They, they didn't quite listen well enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, how long do we want to go, guys? Well, we're at one hour right now. Yeah, and so. it said that we had an hour and 30 minutes on that <clears throat> recording uh, device yeah, over there. Yeah, we still stay and record, so. Yeah, we're good. No, right. we're good I was going to say one more thing just mm-hmm. before we wrap it no, up. No, if he's going to throw me under the bus. Oh, right. look, the battery's dying. Oh, Probably better call it around. Let me tell you about Corey. All right. <laughs> I Let deserve it. Let me tell it. you about my best friend. Let <laughs> <laughs> me get you a guitar, man. <laughs> uh, uh. So I think the the, mo- the biggest thing to focus on, on all of these uh, mistakes that you guys are going to talk about, is reacting to the mistakes okay everybody's gonna make them we make we continue to make them and they're bonehead mistakes and we've made them before but acknowledging the mistake and internalizing it and remembering it to where you get to a similar situation again (laughs) a guy gets lazy guy gets complacent be like oh yeah we can we can we can leverage that wind a little bit or whatever it is obey it now, yeah. I've made this mistake before. No, I'm not doing that again. Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to play it smart. Yeah, learn from it. And learn from there's it. There's times where I still get lazy, and I'm like, yeah, I made that mistake before, but this time I think I got it. Yeah, that was a fluke. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> go in there, almost identical situation, and the exact same result. Yeah, well, like, yeah I, I think, you know, when we were hunting Wyoming a couple of years ago, I, uh, I can remember hunting with Dirk in high school and college, and we went on a particular hunt, and I was at full draw on a big six-point bull that was less than 20 yards away, and I had a great big red fir tree about 36 inches in front of me in the shooting lane. I set it behind the tree. So this was 20 years ago? Yeah. Well, we're hunting Wyoming a couple of years ago, and we have a bull coming up, and he, I'm set up on the left side of this tree, perfect lanes over there, and the bull starts swinging around to the right. So instead of stepping in front of the tree, I take two steps behind it to set up for a shooting lane over there. Had I taken two steps in front of the tree instead of behind it, I would have had 180-degree shooting lanes. Yeah. Now I step over to the right, the bull ends up swinging around and coming out to the left, and I have no shot at him at 10 yards to my left where that tree is now positioned perfectly in the shooting lane. So it's you know two steps. Uh. Just, just remembering, don't step behind that brush. Don't step behind <laughs> that tree. Step in front of it and... Yeah, I've learned from those mistakes. If we were going to sit here and talk about, and not just, we tried to get through our top five mistakes. Yeah, we can even do that. It took us two and a half hours to get through just a few of them. (laughs) But (laughs) it would probably take two days to go through all of the the mistakes I've made multiple times. Yeah. Oh yeah. Rather, like you said, Dirk, learn from them. I'm like slow, man. I'm I'm like so <laughs> below average at everything. I, uh, I I gotta color code everything. I've I've put this podcast get together a hundred times. I still am like okay, purple to red purple, to red, red, red. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not the smartest uh, dude on the mountain for sure. But I I try hard. That that's that's my only redeeming quality is I have that thing about not giving up easy. <laughs> right. Uh, what I lack in intelligence, I make up for in stubbornness. There, there you yeah. go. My <laughs> wife would, would add to that for sure. Um, well, while I give the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation plug, you'd be thinking of the Sitka question Sitka of the week question. at work because yep. we're, we're sitting in a spot right here that I bet you people don't even know it, but this was all, this Madison Gallatin range in Southwest Montana was all checkerboard. And uh, when Plum Creek owned it, they let people hunt it. This was back in 1991 or two. And then a group from Oregon came over, a guy named Mel McDougall. He had a company he set up called Big Sky Lumber Company, and he bought all this Plum Creek land. And he said, you know, we're going to block it off. You guys aren't going to be able to hunt these lands. Well, not just the private land that he bought, which was like 50,000 acres, but it controlled access to all this public land, hundred over 100,000 acres of public land. And uh, everyone thought, ah, he, he wouldn't do that. Well, 1993, I think it was, was the first season he closed it. And the big sky lumber did. And all of this stuff you see here was closed. You, you couldn't, you know, all that stuff up there, you couldn't get to it. And the Elk Foundation and a few other groups stepped in and it took three land trades to get it done. But in the process, what happened in the Gallatin one, the Gallatin two, and then up here in the in the Taylor's Fork trade, it t- it took. Uh, we we ended up the public gave them this big resort over here, the land they built this big resort called the Yellowstone Club. It's a billionaires club off the other side of the ski hill here. But in exchange, we got all of these checkerboard parcels, and now it's all open again to public hunting. But there's so many younger people who some may have not even been born then. That's yeah. how old I am. Uh, have no idea that the Elk Foundation was kind of the leader 
that put these land trades together. And now we have hunting access to that 100,000 and some acres that was blocked off in the Gallatin and Madison range. And right here, sitting here, looking at it, I still remember it's like, man. It wasn't always accessible. No, it, it could have been a train wreck. Yep. And wow. there's so many places, I think, on the elk landscape where we might take for granted today that it, you know, oh, wow, look, it's open. Well, there's groups like the Elk Foundation have done an awful lot to make that work. They're, they're nearing 900,000 acres of land they've made accessible to hunting. That's a lot. And I think it's important to point out, you know, in Montana, when you think about checkerboard land, mm-hmm. that's important because in Montana, you can't step across that corner nope. and go from public to public no, corner if it's a corner, is, right, which, you know, you, you look at the, the reality of it, you should be able to. I mean, right. as far as... You don't have to step foot onto private land to get there, but you can't corner cross. So having a checkerboard area, you're shut down and you can't get from public to public in that. Even if it's contiguous based on the corners there. So to be able to go in and and do a land swap where all of those checkerboard pieces are now public, that's huge. Huge. I mean, and the number of elk that get shot. Well, it it, it was the Madison, Gallatin, and the Bridger Ranges is where all the, the swapping took place. And it took a long time. It yeah. took three trades to get it done, but I can't even imagine how uh, it, the elk hunting in this part of Montana would be nothing yeah. like it is from an access standpoint without that. And yeah. Uh, yeah, had to give up a little bit over here, this Yellowstone Club property, and some people used to hunt in that, and they, they're like, I'm mad that yeah. we ended up giving up my hunting hole. So well, you give up one drainage to gain access to... to Three Multiple, mountain ranges. Yeah. So yeah. it's, but that, that was a great thing to see. I, that's when, when that started, that's when I first joined the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation chapter here. I'm like, wow, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Yep. And uh, I jumped in and, and was part of this chapter at that time for a few years. And they just, they did great work. And these volunteers behind us right here, they're, they're the ones who, they're the ones on the ground. Yeah, they're the ones raising the money, writing letters. Yep. Figuring it out. So, that's right. Anyhow, that's awesome. awesome. That's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, part of the of the podcast, and uh, we hope that y'all become members. So what's what's so, the what's the Sitka question of the week that you're gonna ask Dirk? You know, it actually revolves around clothing, okay. and uh, so Dirk preference base layer, synthetic or merino wool. Ah, it just kind of depends. I like them both. Today I'm wearing a Sitka. Uh, synthetic base layer. Underwear, if you will. <laughs> um, there's BVDs other, there's other times, there's other times I like the merino wool. Uh, they're a little warmer, I feel. So in hot conditions, I feel like I'm cooler in these and that kind of goes against the whole merino wool concept. But, uh, the merino wool doesn't get stanky as quick. Yeah. And I feel like I'm less clammy, less sweaty. Mm-hmm down in the nether regions if I'm yeah. using the merino wool. Yeah. So, uh, so sure, I, I get that question a lot from people just, you know, as they're looking at the Sitka system, yep. which piece should I buy? Uh, so for a, for a top base layer, if you're hunting, your, your main layer, upper layer, your core crew, uh, synthetic or merino wool? Synthetic. For what reason? Um, I'm kind of, 
I don't know. I, I just like it. I, I like it. <laughs> and it, it's funny because they're a very delicate article of clothing. And I'll wear like the uh, Core Crew hoodie. That's my favorite. That may be one of my very favorite items in the Sika lineup because it's light. It's breathable. You got that little hood that's just the right amount of warmth if you need it, if it's not super cold out. And you yeah. can still hear. Yep. But that thing wears like iron mm. going through the the thick timber and nasty country that we traverse sometimes, you would think it'd rip it to shreds, but that stuff's pretty tough. Yeah. So so anyway, I like it. It's just comfortable and, and it fits right. And I, I don't know if there's anything that's any too deep yeah. where I could say I like it, but I love it. So Randy, synthetic I'm, or merino? I'm strictly a merino guy. I, I know that there's times where you're not supposed to do it. Like when we were in New Mexico, you were looking at me like, why are you wearing that long sleeve zip tee merino? <laughs> it's kind of like my security blanket, man. I I wear it from September 1st to the end of the year. And uh, a lot of people don't like merino because they've used a lower quality merino yeah. and it scratches and itches. Not the case with the Sitka stuff. And then some people are like, well, it's not very durable. If you've seen the hundreds of days some of my merino has on it and it's still flawless and yeah i understand that higher quality gear is an investment but i want stuff that lasts for a long time and i want stuff that performs when i need it and so i wear uh uh, i always wear a merino zip tee top now as far as bottoms uh depends on temperature Uh, if it's going to be hot i wear synthetic briefs boxers um and then when it gets colder I'll go to Marino's, and uh, I know that everyone's going to... So I was going to say, you, that's, you, that's the point of asking that question is there's not a right answer or right, a wrong no. answer. I think there are benefits. You look at Merino wool, the benefits of Merino wool, if you're using it for warmth and it gets wet, it still maintains warm properties. It'll keep you warm. Um, but when we're talking base layer, you know, I don't think it's, it's quite as critical there. Your base layer shouldn't be getting wet. It should be wicking, which I think synthetics do a better job of wicking moisture away from the surface of your skin to the outside so it can be evaporated, whereas Merino will hold it a little bit more. Um, So if if you are sweating a lot, synthetics are going to wick that moisture. But then again, synthetics are going to hold odor more than Merino. Merino is antibacterial, so it's not going to hold the odor. Uh, So, you know, it, it really comes down to whatever you want. Yeah. They're both going to be effective in different ways, and I don't think it's going to be, I don't think anybody's going to hate synthetics or hate no. merino wool uh, for me i wear synthetic on the base layer on the top uh, strictly because we're able to wash it if we need to i'm not worried about odor in the synthetic gotcha. if i need to stop at a creek after day two and rinse it out in the creek and wring it out and hang it on a limb for 15 minutes it dries out and i can put it back on and i think yes. that moisture wicking for us the way we hunt the the fast and furious continually hiking i'm always sweaty and so having that moisture wicking capability is is probably more important than the anti-odor hmm. for me. So that's yeah. that's why I wear synthetic. You wear Reno for the reasons you wear it. And yeah. It doesn't really matter. But that new new Apex hoodie, yeah. it's got mm-hmm. a combination. A little yeah, right. both. I know. I'm that excited. thing's pretty awesome. Really? I haven't tried it yet. I it, just got mine. Yeah. And it is soft as a baby's blanket. Yeah. If, if you can't wear wool, and it, no matter how much of a tenderfoot you are, that thing is like a baby's blanket. It's, huh. it's amazing. Wow. So that's the Sitka question of the episode. Okay. That's a good one because yeah. it was my hunt talk forum, there was just a question about that out there. And some guy's like, man, I 
didn't understand this. I didn't, and I, I get it. I mean, I, a lot of it is experiment and say, oh, that, why was I doing that all along? Yeah. yeah. And, and talking to other people, not being afraid to ask the questions. So it was yep. a relevant question. So, Dirk, where can the world find you? Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm called The Bugler. Yeah. And on Facebook, Dirk Durham. Yeah. And uh, I don't do Twitter or anything cool yeah. like that. <laughs> way, way too old. You have to have way too many witty things to be putting out there in the world. And you have a Marco Polo account where people can I video message? I did have one. Did you? I, what? Marco Polo. I, I just <laughs> heard about it. So <laughs> What's <funny>? Marco Polo? <laughs> Some video. I, I don't know. I'm not going to butcher it. Dirk can probably tell because he had one. But it, evidently, you can send videos, to, video messages to people. Oh. And they can get oh. it and watch a video of you telling them, hey, I'm going to be late for dinner tonight or, or something. It does have a voice changer. So there's a little bit of fun to have with that. Huh. But yeah, I deleted it. It was. Did it have like goofy. the Mike Tyson voice no, changer? No, no. Yeah. Alien voices <laughs> and deep voice. And <laughs> so Instagram, the bugler. Yeah. Or Facebook. Those Facebook. Those are your two kind of yep. platforms. All yep. right. So where can they find this operation, Corey? This operation, meaning the Elk Talk, Elk Podcast. Talk Podcast. So we are on Instagram also, Elk Talk Podcast. Yep. We have a website, elktalkpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And if you have ideas for topics or guests or suggestions for topics or guests, feel free to go to the contact page on elktalkpodcast.com. Great. And send us a contact and we will uh, take it into consideration for sure. Cool. Well, one last thing is somebody also sent me a message yesterday asking me uh, how they get to your Elk Hunting University course. Yeah. So the University of Elk Hunting is available oh, see, on Elk101.com. Uh, University of Elk Hunting, Elk Hunting University. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Ambidextrous. Yeah, exactly. Amphibious is exactly. the one. Exactly. <laughs> You're that. getting an education either way. So. Okay. Where now, was it? I'm sorry. Elk101.com. They can go there, click on the link for online course. Okay. And they can read all about the, the benefits, some of the information that's included there, and get kind of a, an overview or a highlight. Uh, but there's, I don't remember, close to 50 chapters. Uh, there's so much information on every aspect of elk hunting. And uh, since we're in the, in the mode of discounts and codes, we might as well give them a 20% discount if they use the code ELKTALK. One word. Are going to do that? I, we might as well. Oh. I mean, there you have it, we, folks. We made the sale. <laughs> we, we, we didn't tell a, you the fine print, though. Oh, what's that? He bills back the 20% to Randy Newberg. Oh, yeah. There, there, there is you that, go. Randy there is going to cover go. the 20% for you. So send, He's a heck of a guy. Send, send, uh, yeah. if, I, if I get any kinder, I'll die of enlargement of the heart, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, just go to elkonawan.com, look for online course. And uh, if you do sign up, use the code ELKTALK, save 20%, and uh, go from there. Yeah. All right. Well, I saw Mr. Brinker walking around I did too. here. Do you think we actually get him? We need to grab David Brinker and do another episode with him. All right. Wait, okay. we'll, we'll get his uh, his comments. But, Dirk, really appreciate, appreciate how much information you Later. share with people. I follow your stuff, and it's, it's fun to see that you... You don't take yourself too seriously. You <laughs> no. look like you're having fun, no. and and you share a lot of good information. I was so. say, Dirk brings personality to our, our hunting group. So, <laughs> yep. yeah. that's a compliment. Don't he, glare oh, at me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, all right, he's all a right. character. Uh, well, thanks for listening, folks. Until the next time, go and do yourself a favor. Maybe shoot your bow. Get ready for season. Yep, it's coming and, quickly. Yeah, it won't be long now. It won't.
We need to come up with a tagline that we can end these with. Do what's, what's your suggestion? Tagline? Don't forget your batteries. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> don't so, forget your batteries. Yeah. So let's ask the audience. Yeah. What, what should our closing tagline be? Like Brian Call says, be gritty. Or stay gritty. Stay gritty. Okay. Stay gritty. Yeah. We, we, and, we need uh, something that something cool and motivating to all right. end on. So, yeah, send us your comments. Let us know what you think. All right. Thanks, folks. Take care.